0: Well, sure enough, they do onside kick. It comes right to me. Right. And I'm there about to get the ball, and the lights go out. In the stadium? No, in my head. Oh, I was <laughs> like, boom! The guy, I never saw him coming from behind. Helmet helmet hit, knocked me unconscious. Jeez. I was down and out on the field. Uh, my third concussion in three months. Hey, this is Dr. Jared Spencer, sports psychologist and author of the book, Mind of the Athlete Clear Mind better performance. And you're listening to the Heads and Tails
1: podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host Kevin Somm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. So, in this part of our four-part series for our Mind of the Athlete uh, interviews on our podcast. I'm interviewing Dr. Jared Spencer who's a sports psychologist and she's the president and founder of Mind of the Athlete Um, and we're going to talk about today mostly focusing on transitioning to life after sports which is something that I really struggle with personally and I think a lot of athletes struggle with um, including our our friend Chuck DeBilio who we Interviewed on episode 34 of the Heads and Tails podcast. So, Jared, can you just start off by talking about like, what sports you played growing up and um, just how you got into the sports psychology realm?
0: As a little kid growing up in the sports intense town of Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Okay, yeah. I played, I'm aware. Yeah. It's a cool stadium they have there. It's a phenomenal stadium. One of the best in America, really, for high school football. Right. And their high school wrestling venue, The Pit, is legendary. And so when you're a little kid growing up in Philsburg, the two big sports, football and wrestling, are what most kids dream of competing in. I had the good fortune of uh, not only playing but excelling and having some championship teams uh, for Philsburg. Okay. Um, Wonderful coaching along the way there. Some legends there? Some legends there, yeah. Uh, Rick Thompson, a a wrestling coach, he's the kind of guy that made you feel like, you know, there's a wall, we need to run through it, okay, we can do it. Right, he, right, he's right. that kind of coach that had that kind of motivation.
1: All right, cool. Um, so you were a football player and a wrestler? Did, yes. you, did you play any other sports? A little bit of
0: track and uh, later on a little bit of rugby, but football and wrestling were the two. The two main. Uh,
1: okay, what were some of your accolades as an athlete, were team and personal?
0: Sure. Yeah, the brag list there for a second. Uh, hey, we're here to promote you. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, when I was a high school wrestler, I was captain junior and senior year and captained my team to back-to-back uh, state championships in wrestling. Okay. Uh, was able to place in states as well as a senior. And then football was uh, part of a championship team, finished second in the state. Uh, league champions, finished second in the state. And had the good fortune then of going on to Lafayette College uh, and playing football there. Awesome.
1: Uh, the, what did, what's their mascot?
0: The leopards. The leopards, right. The only college in America to have a leopard as a mascot.
1: little fun, little for fun trivia for you little fun trivia, yeah. Awesome. Um, what's your favorite memory from your sports
0: career? Great question. And I think it would probably be Atlantic City, the state championship in wrestling. Okay. Uh, for two reasons. One was because it was the pinnacle of my uh, high school athletic success, but my family was all able to be a big part of that. And kind of celebrate that with me. And celebrate that with me. The second was— It's hard getting there, isn't it? It's so hard getting there. Um, But the other part of it, why it's so memorable, is this great story of this. The day uh, that I'm achieving the ultimate, I thought, in sports, there's an article in the local newspaper, front page— Uh, talking about me being in the state semifinals. Okay. And in that article, uh, they printed something that I regretted.
1: That you said? That I said.
0: Okay. You see, the reporter said to me after I won my quarterfinals match, can I do an interview? I said, of course, just give me a moment. I'll be right back. I I ran to the locker room. I came back and I said to the guy, hey, I'm sorry about the delay. Uh, This place is so big. I was so nervous. I had really bad diarrhea, but I'm good now, man. (laughs) You know, I knew the guy. We had rapport. <laughs> right. He covered me many times. I thought that was off record. <laughs> and he put that in there? He put it in the article. And there it is. It says, with diarrhea so bad, Jared had to postpone his interview after the match. He somehow overcame his nerves and won. Oh, my God. So you could imagine when I returned to high school on Monday, <laughs> did anybody care what color my medal was? No. What did they ask me about?
1: How are your pants looking?
0: I heard every diarrhea (laughs) joke possible. And for weeks, I'd walk down the hall. My buddies would go up behind me and say, when you're climbing up the ladder and you'll fall down here a splatter, diarrhea, diarrhea. Messed up. Relentless. But it taught me a really good lesson. That even when you achieve the thing that you think is going to bring you the ultimate in life and fulfillment in sports, the reality is it doesn't. Right. Nobody cared about my medal. And so it was all, it was one of those great, humbling experiences.
1: You learned at a pretty young age, I guess.
0: I did. I learned never trust reporters with what you say. Right. Anything you say can and will end up in an article if it makes for a good story.
1: Dude, that's messed up. If I was an athlete after that, I'd be like, yeah, I'm not talking
0: to this guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very cautious. All right, well. That was
1: definitely not what I was expecting from your favorite sports memory. <laughs> but uh, what injuries did you suffer from as uh, a young athlete?
0: My first surgery occurred at age 15 on a kickoff in a football team. Oh, kickoff. Uh, dangerous yeah. sometimes. Very dangerous. In fact, most of my injuries have c- occurred from kickoffs. Jeez. Yeah. Um, so that was a knee surgery. Uh, that's actually what put me on the path of interest in sports medicine. Okay. The physician, uh, Dr. Carl Weiss of Coordinated Healthcare in the Lehigh Valley, um, was our team doctor. I was interested in what he did, how he did it. He began to mentor me and he put me on the path of sports medicine. Uh, fast forward a couple of years later, my sophomore year at Lafayette College, it's the fourth quarter of the uh, Patriot League Championship game between Lafayette and Lehigh.
1: Oh, wow, it was a big game. Big game. Now they played at Yankee Stadium,
0: right? They did. They did. It's huge. And the, the snow is blowing that day. It's it's really cold. Um, and the fourth quarter, we thought they might do an onside kick. But we set up for kickoff returns. So they said, Jared, go up in the front. I uh, was a backup tailback. And they said, we kind of had our hands guys up there. Hands well, team. Hands <laughs> team. Well, sure enough, they do onside kick. It comes right to me. Right. And I'm there about to get the ball. And the lights go out. In the stadium? No, in my head. Oh, I was like, boom! The guy, I never saw him coming from behind. Helmet to helmet hit, knocked me unconscious. Jeez. I was down and out on the field. Uh, my third concussion in three months. Uh, I get to the, uh, they, they drag me. I, I kind of stand up a little bit. Um, trainer comes and catches me as I fall back down, kind of gets me right to the silent. I'm on the bench. And my eyes are spinning in my head that people said it was kind of freaky seeing the whites of the eyes. But then they came to and the trainer said to me the classic questions. Uh You know, what happened? Um, what's the score? What, what quarter is this? Maybe a simple math problem. I failed them all except for one question. They said, do you know where you're at right now? And I was sitting on the bench on the Lafayette side, visitor side, and I'm looking at the press box across the field, and real big in front of the press box it says, Lehigh. I said, I'm I'm at Lehigh, aren't I? And they said, yes, you are, and you're done for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They took me into the uh, locker room and then to the hospital, and my football career actually ended with that. Because of that? or yeah. I actually struggled with post-concussive syndrome for months, just right. unable to shake the long-term uh, ramifications of the concussions.
1: So you said that that was your third concussion in how many months? Three. In three months. So were they, like, diagnosed before that, or were you hiding symptoms? Cause I, sure. I, I no, in terms of, of legit,
0: we, we, we all hide the symptoms. We, yep. we, we, we always call it, again, your bell rung. The first occurred in, in a preseason camp, and as anyone knows in college football— Never report your injury in preseason camp. Or you'll never play. You'll never play. Yeah. So no matter how bad, that, that one was significant, but I couldn't report it. Right. I'd be out for a week or two, and I'd never play. Uh, the next one occurred um, in, against Princeton. Uh, that one, uh, thankfully, another kickoff. I'm going down. A kid hits me in the side of the helmet. I was kind of out on my feet, and as he was blocking me, he realized I was out. So he he was kind, nice guy. He actually walked me to the sidelines and said to the trainer, this guy's out. The 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 trainer says to me, What's seventy two minus seven? I said to him, It's like three hundred and twenty three. They said, Take his helmet, he's done for the day. Yeah.
1: That's not like an easy math problem though. It's not like
0: seventy two minus seven. The next day it's not hard, but if you you know Yeah. The next day I went in to the locker room and uh, he said to me, Hey, what's seventy two minus seven? I said, I think it's 65. He said, it wasn't yesterday. (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's pretty crazy. So what are your thoughts on uh, kickoffs in football?
0: I think there's going to come a time in the not-too-distant future where it's removed from the game.
1: Yeah, and uh, in a couple months, I'm actually interviewing Eric Legrand who got paralyzed on a kickoff. Yeah. So it's definitely a a dangerous part of the game, and is it really necessary? Uh, It's exciting at times, but I definitely think in the – best interest of the athletes on the field it might be good to do away with this they've already done away with you know the wedge that we had when i was in high school yes that's a good way to get your ass kicked basically yeah
0: Yeah. you try to explain to people you say run top speed as fast as you can for 30 40 50 yards yeah have somebody else run top speed 30 40 50 yards now your job is to throw your body right into their body right bust up the wedge uh that just doesn't sound good but And from a sports psychology angle, it taught me, you've got to shift into a certain place in your mind. Not many people can do that.
1: Right. Unfortunately, I was able to do that, and (laughs) I think that's why my career was as short as it was.
0: It is for most people that can throw their body like that into the wedge. That's interesting.
1: All right. So prior to your education in sports psychology, is there anything that you wish that you knew that you you now know?
0: Let's unpack that one a little bit more, that question.
1: In terms of like – your own performance. Like, yeah. what, what, I don't know, uh, practices in sure. sports psychology yeah. do you know of now and that you help athletes with now that you wish that you knew as an athlete um, when you were still playing?
0: When I graduated high school, a mentor of mine, Ivan Boyesen, a former Lehigh University wrestler, gave me a book. And in the book was called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. It's a story of a gymnast who um, has a terrible accident breaks his leg and he's got to come back but his comeback isn't just physical it's mental and he meets an old man a mentor who teaches him about the mind about emotions and he thrives again when i got that book for my high school graduation i read it and i reread it and then i read every book by dan millman and i quickly learned the power of the mind right i applied it for a freshman sophomore year of football um, and I had the good fortune of then, um, it was a kind of a club wrestling team, so I was able to do a little wrestling my junior into senior year, uh, but really really careful with the head and neck kind of stuff there. Right. But I I wish I had been introduced to the power of the mind at an earlier age, been put on the path to watch the videos, to talk to the people, to read the books, because there's so much there, right. but I got it at the very end of my career.
1: Do you think that's like a maturity thing, though? Like when you're 14 or younger than that, like generally probably don't want to read books. You don't. Absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you, you think that you're already good and you're going to be in the NFL
0: or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. There was a maturity piece. But the difference is today, sports are so, in my opinion, absurd early on in life. Seventh grade, you're being forced to pick one sport year round. Right. And so, therefore, I think at 13, 14, those kids are actually needing and wanting the insights into the mind. Because, quite frankly, if you're not really working on it 13, 14, 15, uh, you're almost at a disadvantage today. Okay. So, that
1: just brings up another thought. What are your thoughts on multi-sport athletes versus uh, sport-specific athletes where they have just one sport that they focus on year-round? Do you think, you know, in order to perform at an elite level – do you think you have to focus on that one sport
0: or does playing multiple sports you know,
1: help you in different areas of each game?
0: I'm all for multiple sports, but I understand the logistical problems. It's the adults who coach the sports, who send indirect but very strong messaging to the kids that you really need to be with me. The old optional practice. Absolutely. And so it's it's not okay. It's not fair for the, for the kids to have to be forced into this. But it, And it's also hard to compete if somebody's wrestling year-round and you're only wrestling for a couple months of the year, it is a little bit harder to keep up. Now, the, the, the very naturally gifted athletes, they can still pull it off and play two or three sports. Um, but those guys are still a little bit rare right, in our society. I'm all for playing multiple sports, And here's one reason why. What we see is we see young female uh, soccer players, for example, they, in seventh grade, decide they're going soccer year-round. They don't play one sport year round what they play is one position year round all they know is that they're a striker on the right side right and by playing one position year round their body anatomically develops with an imbalance and consequently we see a lot of female soccer players with the term is kneeing out they tear their their ACL, ACL yeah there's and why It's because this huge anatomical imbalance that develops because they're only playing one position, doing one thing repetitively. Right. There are a lot of problems. That's just one example of why I'm not for one sport year round.
1: right. I like your input. So you mentioned that you had really bad post-concussion syndromes and and that was pretty much what ended your athletic career. Yeah. Can you talk about the symptoms that you had and kind of how long it took you to kind of get through those?
0: Sure. Absolutely. Uh, months it took, um, well into a year, uh, or more, and one of the key symptoms that I clearly remember was I prided myself on my hands and being able to c- catch anything as as a running back and right. receiver. And so things when things would fall or drop off, I'd always just be able to catch them. Uh, like in the shower, if I'm if I'm washing up and the soap slips out, I just always grab it. Yeah. And I would drop things all the time. And it would just be so frustrating how my hand-eye coordination was gone. Right. And I would knock things over. And I remember just being so mad at like, what, what happened? And then I remember as the symptoms began to lift and I began to just reflexively catch something. Mm-hmm. And I remember that first time being like, wow,
1: it's back. Right. It's back. That's the power of the brain again. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so the symptoms started lifting, but we're talking 12, 13, 14 months into this.
1: Yeah, that's a long time. And some people, and athletes, take some years before they can resolve. So,
0: Well, I'm, I'm uh, not proud of it for sure, but in the spirit of true confession, I still have long-term consequences. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I see a chiropractor every other week. I... I've um, had injections in my neck trying to help the ligaments and the tendons in there to gain some stability. I've got headaches. I've never had migraines. Right. I've got children, and I can't even look at a merry-go-round or a roller coaster with them because it, I get so nauseous. Right. Before all those headaches, uh, the, the concussions, never had a problem. Afterwards, I got these symptoms long-term. Right. Do you regret playing football at all? I don't. Given the context of the situation, in hindsight, um, it was the right decision along the way. Right. Now, as a as a doctor of sports psychology and having insights and awareness, um, I am much more cautious to the game. Okay. Uh, and so it's it's not for everybody. Um, and so you got to really want to do it and be aware of the. Um, of the dangers.
1: Right. I mean, I almost died from a head injury playing football, but I don't regret playing. Like, I still, some of my favorite memories are from playing football. Yeah. And I could have made a lot different choices. Yes. Uh, in terms of telling someone when my head hurt and not playing with a concussion. And I would have turned out a lot different than I did. So yeah. that's really the message that I try to get across is like, just don't try to be a tough guy, when, especially yeah. when it comes to your head.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to raise awareness. But like my last concussion, one play, one hit, one day, I wasn't even looking. Right. Didn't even see the guy coming. And so when you step on that field, you assume that risk every time. And sometimes you just can't even protect yourself.
1: Yep, it's true. You can't control what, yeah. what, what everything that goes on in the game. Um. Okay, so what was your transition to life after sports like?
0: Depression. And so as I went through my sophomore year, uh. And spring practice came and I wasn't able to uh, compete with the team and practice with the team and, and had announced kind of my retirement. Uh, and they did an article in the newspaper. Oh, wow. Um, I just really battled the loneliness and depression in the, in the identity. Now, interesting. Remember earlier I talked about reporters? Yeah. So this guy <laughs> did this article on me, different guy. Okay. And he calls me up and we do this interview and, I, and then I, I called him back and I said to him, Look, I don't know if this is going to be like a little blurb in the paper, if you're going to do a big article, what you're going to do, but my mentor right now is actually dying. And I wanted to make sure that in the article I could thank my mentor for helping me along this journey. His, my mentor's name was Ronnie Morrow, a wonderful guy uh, who lived in Phillipsburg, New, Jer- New Jersey, hardcore, tough guy, battled cancer. And he said he he, w- he would do it, he put it in. And so the um, the headlines of the paper says One Blow Ends Spencer's Career. And in there, there's this uh, paragraph about Ronnie. And I went to his house uh, that morning and he was a frail guy then. Um, and he couldn't speak. He got up out of his chair and we went into the kitchen uh, where the newspaper was there. And he just pointed to that part of the newspaper where I was thanking him for helping me along my journey. And the toughest man ever knew began to cry and I started to cry. Right. And it was one of those bonding moments of like, my journey is ending with football. And this is the guy who was there right when I was eight years old and started it. Right. A week later Ronnie died. And I walked his wife behind the casket in the funeral. A powerful uh emotional moment that just exacerbated the depression that not only did football end, my, my mentor died in this process with cancer. Uh, what am I going to do now? What's, what's next Right, now? that's the big question, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's where the, the inner journey really began.
1: All right. Um, when did you start going to school and like, when did you know that sports psychology was the route? You said you were always interested in kind of sports medicine. Yeah. but
0: So at the end of my sophomore year, I went to my advisor because you had to pick a major. And I said to her, I don't know what to pick. I like biology. I like psychology. But I I don't know. uh, This is what I want to take care of at Lafayette College, but it doesn't add up to anything. Right. She said.
1: I remember reading this in your book.
0: Yeah, why don't we make up a major? Yeah. So we did. We called it psychobiology. And all my buddies teased me. They're like, what are you going to do for a living? Like hypnotize fish or something? (laughs) So there was no market, but it's what I want to study is mind-body interaction. Right. And consequently, uh, moving forward, uh, I was able to study mind-body connections, which was really healing myself at the that time. That's what was really driving it. Yeah,
1: so, yeah, so helping out yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so what kind of tips do you have for athletes going through this transition to life after sports? I know I asked this question to Chuck during our interview, and he praised you, you know, to to, I don't know, like you were God for <laughs> what you, everything that you did for him in, in his recovery. And one thing that he said was to follow the energy and that you, you told him to do that. So are there any Can you, can you kind of explain following the energy and any other kind of tips that you have for these athletes?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. First off, Chuck DeBilly is just an amazing young man. Uh, I just hold him in such high regard as well. He's just somebody so special, uh, to me and I'm really excited for his path ahead. Uh, we saw in Chuck this amazing greatness through football. Yeah, for sure. But the greatness is still in Chuck, right. and we're going to see it in other ways as he continues now into his career and and forward. Football is just an expression of it, uh-huh. and I think that's true for many people. That a lot of times when we are injured and the career is over, we think that the greatness is gone. No oftentimes the greatness is still there. You just have to find a new way for it to come out. To express it, right. And follow the energy is a wonderful concept taught to me by my mentor, Doctor well, another one of my mentors, Doctor Glenn Asquith. And following the energy means that in life there are certain people, there are certain places, there are certain ideas and activities that somehow just make you come alive. You don't get drained when you do it. You actually feel better. Right. And when you can gravitate to those people, places and things that actually make you feel like you're doing your life's work, uh, that's, that's an inclination that God's kind of got you right there on the path that you're supposed to go. Right. So essentially there's a, there's a spiritual layer to this. And so when we talk about the athlete in transition phenomenon, you know, it's beyond the body, it's beyond the mind. Now we're getting down into your soul into your spirit. And so when I went through that process in the depression, in the identity crisis, mm-hmm. there was a woman named Kim, an athletic trainer, who came to me and said, we're going to start this thing called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's going to be like a, like a Bible study or something. And, and being a Catholic on campus, I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm all for it. I got some time. Right. <laughs> well, wouldn't you know it, Um, I got it connected and I started reading the Bible and I started uh, asking questions of faith and I started really going deep at a soulful level and I started to heal uh, in a way and be put back together in a way that was much different. And I believe in my own kind of uh, context that follow the energy a lot of times is follow the Holy Spirit, that God's kind of leading us and when you can listen to that quiet whisper and follow the signs that are out there, um, then we're more on a path to actually do what we were created to do. Right. God turned my mess into my mission. Right. And I thought this was all bad. Which is what you're doing with mine of the Athlete. Yeah. 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 There was a greater plan. Exactly. I didn't see it at the time. And I didn't think that way at the time. Right. But it's easy in hindsight, it's important for athletes as we go through the transition phenomenon to realize that this is leading somewhere and it's gonna be better on the other side.
1: Right, exactly. And you talk about that a lot of in your book, The Sky is not the limit. Yes. Um, in terms of I it was when I was reading it it was I was surprised at how often God was in there. Yeah. And Faith is always something that I've kind of like not really understood, I guess. Yeah. I'm Catholic. Yes, I was baptized. I was confirmed. But I don't go to church. I just, And it's not because I just don't get it when yeah. I go there. I'm like, why am I here? I'm just like wasting my time. Yeah. But a lot of people that I look up to, Tim Tebow being number one, number one, yeah. he, I've always been a huge Tim Tebow fan. Yeah. And he obviously places his faith in very high regard, and he's not afraid. To show it, yeah, or express that. So it's interesting to me that that's a
0: similar kind of path that that you took as well. It, it's the path that I took. It's the path that I'm on. In fact, I can share with you as well that there are uh, four guys that are instrumental in my life. Uh, every Tuesday night, I go to my friend's house. His name is Matt Millen. Uh, he won a couple of Super Bowls. Uh, and Matt Millen, Pat Santoro, Dave Kroll, and Dave Huber are four guys I'm in a small group Bible study with. And so. Those guys get it. And learning now is one of my mentors from Matt Millen. He understands sports. He understands football. And he understands faith. And so it's something that I get to do. Right. uh, Learn from those great guys who are incredible coaches, incredible people, and great wisdom. And then I could pass that on to other guys like Marco Blasco and others in FCA. Uh, And we we do huddles as well. And so it's really neat to see how – The mess turned into the mission, and and different people show up in my life to teach me the things I just didn't know. Right, that's awesome. That could be a whole another podcast episode just about
1: that topic in general. And I actually plan to do that somewhere down the road. Um, All right. So, do you think that there's a different? Do you approach talking with athletes differently who ended their careers because of an injury versus ended their careers because it was senior night or they retired or something like that? Do you see? A difference in how they, sh- they struggle
0: in this transition? They do. And one of the very first things we have to clarify when an athlete decides to no longer play their sport is society will tell them they quit. Did you quit football? Did you quit soccer? No, no, I say to them, no, first off, you didn't quit. If you were doing this for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, maybe more, we're going to call that retirement. Right. So you retire, the return on the investment is no longer worth it. Right. And you could go out there and take another hit. You could go do those. But is it worth it right. anymore? And so we first have to clarify and say, when an athlete stops playing their sport, we call that retirement. So I retired. It's a good way to put it, yeah. It's a positive reframe that sets the entire process in motion in a more affirming, uplifting light. Right. But if we say, yeah, I I, I quit lacrosse, that's always going to have a negative connotation and that's never going to be good. Right. And I feel like
1: athletes who maybe be in high school and because they're not being paid, they're not professionals, right? right. When their career ends or they choose to end it, yeah. they call it quitting. Yep. Because, But when a pro athlete decides to do the same exact thing, yes. it's retiring. Yeah. Yes, so
0: We change that vocabulary word. If you've been playing the sport for more than seven years, you're retired, dude. I like it.
1: Okay. So how do, I know a lot of, the issues that I struggle with when I transitioned to life after sports was this identity. Like I was a football player. I was an athlete. And then in the one play that was all gone. I was no longer an athlete, or at least yeah. that's what I told myself. Yep. Right. And that was, I was insecure about that. I didn't know who I was. So how do athletes develop an identity outside of their sport? And, or, and should they, if, you know, if they're still playing, you know, in preparation for
0: the end of their career. That's the problem. If you ask many athletes today the simple question, "What's your hobby?" Right. What do you like to do for pleasure, outside of sports, outside of working out? What do you do? That's purely for intrinsic gain, and most will tell you they don't have a hobby. Right. Most when you say to them, "Well, what are some areas that you're interested in?" They don't have them. Because their whole life from about 13 years old, it's all been about the sport and academic success. We are setting people up for a huge uh, crises when the sport is over because now what? In fact, we maybe didn't even develop the, the interest or hobbies for years and years and years, right. and that was part of that. Now what when, when football was over? Right. And so, what we've got to do is we've got to create and cultivate hobbies and interests more among other athletes so that when it's over, they can transition into something great. Here's the best example. When Kurt Warner retired from playing football, he was excited to transition into something. He had his Christian ministry. He was writing books. Right, he okay. had a bunch of kids. He was going to do speaking tour. That, he was so excited because he transitioned into something. Around the exact same time, another quarterback named Brett Favre retires. My guy, I'm a Packers fan. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, and then he came back. And he came back again. He came back again. He couldn't. Re- why? He's like, I got bored hunting and fishing. Like he he didn't have something he was excited to retire into, which is why no they energy had- to follow. There it is. Yeah. So you see, like, eventually Brett found his way, but he had to uh go through that process a much different path than Kurt Warner. Right. And so we have to be excited to transition into whatever is next, helping athletes uh get excited about whatever that may be, especially college athletes, like, what is your career and what's coming up next? Um, how can you turn your mess into your mission? What do you enjoy doing? That's really where the focus has got to be. Right. That's good advice, but do you think that,
1: in order to be elite to be in you know to make it to the n f l or major league baseball or whatever your highest aspiration is, do you think not fully immersing yourself into that you know lifestyle or into that sport is can you still succeed?
0: You can, but there's oftentimes the a depression that comes. With many people who achieve Olympic gold medals, and it's very, very common among Olympians that after you achieve the thing that you thought that you ultimate, you still feel empty. You still right. feel depressed. Well, they call that like achievement hangover, or like yeah, uh, something like that. It's 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 very it's very um very common. Greg Strobel, the former United States Olympic wrestling coach during that uh, era at Foxcatcher in the nineteen nineties, uh, shared the story with me. He said. That when they brought people to Foxcatcher, everyone's athletic performance dramatically improved for about six months. But after a while, they plateaued and even trailed off. And the reason they uncovered was because if all you do is focus on training for the Olympics, you're going to get bored. You're going to get stale. They then made every athlete have either a part-time job, take one college class, or have a significant hobby that they did 10 hours a week. And when they implemented this policy for all their Olympic hopefuls, athletic performance uh, started to improve again. And so it's very well known at the highest levels. If you don't have an outlet to let out the stress, eventually you're going to crack under the pressure.
1: Right. I'm sure that would lead to other issues too, like probably injuries and other stuff too. Well said. Interesting. Um, Do you recommend athletes – Staying around the game that they no longer can play. Because, from personal experience, when I couldn't play football anymore, I tried to try it for the crew team on Rutgers. And it just didn't do it for me. Something about it it was like all I could think about was how football made me feel, and crew didn't make me feel that way. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try to work for the football team at Rutgers, which I did. And at times, I think it was okay because I got to throw the football and I got to. Wear the gear and almost pretend like I was an athlete still. But once game day rolled around and they were, you know, warming up before the game, I was like, it crushed me that I, like, that was my dream right in front of me. And I, you know, I can't, I couldn't do it.
0: Every athlete has to make that decision for themselves. And in your situation, you tried and it didn't really work out so well. Uh, My coach asked me, come on board and be a coach. And I said to him, I can't be around the game. It's way too painful for me. It was hard for me to even go and watch a game. Right. I would just want to break down and cry. Uh, other people want to be right there on the sidelines and want to coach. So each person is a little bit different in how they can respond to the game after they've broken up. Right.
1: All right. Uh, what skills uh, that do you learn in athletics that can be translated into other outlets when your career may happen to end
0: hustle is a big one all right simple messages like for practice early is on time on time is late late is unacceptable that's a great philosophy in life uh but you'd be surprised how many people in the business world can't quite live up to that don't yeah and so we can just go through the laundry list of of perseverance and and pushing through difficulty uh, making the most gains on the days that you don't want to train Uh, But doing so because you know you're going to succeed later on, Uh, getting up at 5 or 6 a.m. before work to get a little work done uh, at home or for the business uh, is a powerful skill that you learn in sports. You get up, get an extra workout in. Yeah. Go for a run before high school starts. Yeah. That's how you get ahead. And so those simple concepts uh, are lifelong skills that have really helped me to thrive. Awesome. Awesome.
1: I remember in Chuck's interview, he mentioned the importance of continuing to exercise. Yes. So can you explain how that kind of helps athletes in their transition?
0: The most overlooked part of the athlete in transition phenomenon has to do with the neurochemicals that we are associated with getting from our sport. It's really, really important. You see, when a lot of sports end, they end mostly because of injury. And because of that injury, Many athletes are so used to getting a very certain level of drug release, right. serotonin is a chemical that makes you feel good, happiness, norepinephrine, dopamine, uh, natural endorphins, painkillers. And if you work out as an elite level athlete, every day your brain, as soon as you start sweating, starts releasing those chemicals. Now, what happens if you've got a concussion and you can't get those chemicals for a week or a month or six months? Depression and anxiety can begin to settle in there. For sure. Not only is it a a psychological identity crisis, not only is it a social alienation and isolation crisis, but now we're talking about a neurochemical crisis. Biology, yeah. Basic biology. Yeah. And so what we've got to do is help our athletes who are transitioning to crack a sweat. And to find a way to get the drug release, the natural drug release that their body was used to sometimes for a decade. Right. And you just can't like take that away and expect a person to function. Normally. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to get them, uh, into some type of activity that's going to help. And so that's why I mentioned that I had to transition into wrestling. Uh, the wrestling workout gave me that drug release again, Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Chuck Dabilio. He went into CrossFit and he found a way to use his athleticism and to work out the tension and get those chemicals right. to be released. It's very important to help athletes in transition find a way to get that chemical release in right. a healthy, positive manner. CrossFit was a big thing for me
1: too. When I found when I yeah. found that it was like all right, like this is something that Gets me excited and the energy
0: that I wanted to follow. CrossFit is a great place for a lot of athletes, especially in their twenties, when the when the career ends, right. they transition into that. The, the only challenge there is, while I'm a big fan of CrossFit, we know that there tends to be a higher injury rate as you get a little bit older. You're
1: looking right at one. I just had knee surgery because of probably squatting too heavy too often. So
0: there it is, and so that story is very common. So now what? Exactly. Podcast. Yeah. (laughs) And so podcast is something you love. And so you're following the energy. And so it's just an example of how we've got to take all of that that we learned and transition it into a manner that's a mission. Awesome. Now, what if an injury is the
1: very reason for, excuse me, for, you needing to transition to a life after sports. Yeah. And that also limits your ability to exercise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you do in those cases? We've got to get creative. We've got to, we've got to improvise. And so one small example that I tell people oftentimes is, okay, is there a sauna or a steam room around? Because when you start sweating, you, you, you start feeling better. So if you went into a steam room and you are able to stretch for 20 minutes and you are able to sweat, you're going to feel better. Is there a pool you can get into? Yeah. Because even if you're just in a pool, it's always 85 degrees in an indoor pool. Right. Temperature-wise, outside, so in the, the, the room. So you've got to get a lot of times into water. When we, the more time we spend in water, it's very healing. It's very restorative. And it's a, it's a great step to help us in that transition.
1: That's so funny that you say that because with my knee surgery that I had, I was not weight bearing for 10 weeks and it was very, it's like a six month recovery and I couldn't really do anything. I go from working out, you know, for two hours a day to doing nothing. Yes. And it's funny that you said the sweat part because like I can't do anything that makes me sweat. Yes. And like, that's the part that I miss. Yes. Yeah. it's, It's funny. But those are awesome ideas for people who might be feeling the same way. Yeah, sauna and water. I like it. Yeah, cool. All right. So, what's the number one thing athletes should be doing to improve their mental game, like current athletes? Is it meditating?
0: Is it visualizing? It's being open to the path. And the path is this journey of openness to the mind and how it works. And there are a lot of phenomenal teachers on the path. And what we've got to do is just take an athlete and introduce them to the path. I'm just one guy, one teacher on the path. right? But there are far smarter people than me, far more knowledgeable and gifted than me. And so if I could be somebody that introduces people to the path and they can say, well, learn from this guy and read that book and listen to that podcast. And you got to check out that YouTube video. Right. uh, That's the key thing that athletes have to be doing today if they're not doing that it's they're actually doing themselves a disservice because there's so many resources out there right as chuck had mentioned it's about putting tools in your mental toolbox right okay you've got to have not one tool like visualization right you've got to have a hundred tools that are in there right that you can pull out at any given time to help you excel what I like about sports psychology is that we always say, in sports, the physical benefits of sports, it all leaves you eventually, buddy. Right. Really sad, <laughs> but it all leaves you. No. Yeah. But the psychological, that never leaves. So the lessons you learned on the football field, they stay with you forever. Right. You can talk to a 75-year-old guy, and he'll tell you exactly this play and that time and, and how they did things and how it's impacted his life. The psychological never leaves. That's awesome. Um, names aside,
1: what have been some of the most memorable experiences like with, I guess, clients that you've had in terms of just how you were able to help them, whether it was in their transition life at their sports or whether it was their performance on the field?
0: Sure. Um, because of HIPAA laws, obviously, yeah, I'm obviously not permitted.
1: So, so. I work at a hospital too, so I I, I get it.
0: However, uh, there is one um, situation I'm... I'm Legally permitted to speak of, and it's out there. It's public knowledge, so I can address it. It's a good example to this. Um, Just last month, I was at the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. Okay. And I was helping the youngest driver in the race uh, that day, 21-year-old Sage Karam. Sage, uh, there was an article just about three days before the race, a front-page sports section, USA Today newspaper. And the story was about Sage's comeback. And in that story, it talked about how I've been helping Sage over the years. And in particular, helping helping him with this most recent comeback, which was in August, uh, just a few less than a year ago, Sage was racing in the the, uh, Pocono 500. And he was leading with just a few laps to go about to win the race when his car spun out of control for no apparent reason and goes 223 miles an hour into a concrete wall. The car is obliterated and a piece of the car bounces across the track and comes down at the uh, precise timing that Sage's friend, Justin Wilson, another driver, is coming around the turn. It hits Justin in the head And that piece of debris causes a head injury that ultimately kills Justin Wilson.
1: What? I didn't even hear about this.
0: It was in August of last year. Google it. It was on every major uh, station out there. Uh, You can imagine when you go from the pinnacle of your young career, I'm about to win my first race, and within two or three seconds, it goes to the lowest moment. Uh, the world wanted to know was Sage Caram back? Was he ready for the Indianapolis 500? Right. And so that's why the USA Today newspaper did a story on he and I and and how that comeback actually occurred. That's awesome.
1: Um,
0: so, w- w- did he feel guilt or. You could imagine that anybody in that situation yeah, would, would feel. And you lost your
1: best friend, right? Or?
0: Yeah. Not best friend, but good friend. Good friend, yeah. Yeah. Um, those guys that are out there driving, you know, they're, they're, they're rivals, they're competitors, but they all hang out together, too. Yeah, after, yeah. Yeah. And so um, he went through the emotions that anybody would go through, which is just a whole mixture of things, including right. uh, sadness and guilt. All right.
1: Let's start talking about uh, your book, The Sky is Not the Limit. Mm-hmm. I pulled out some headline topics that really stuck out to me. And the first one was practice what you're good at because as an athlete, I feel like you're always told to like practice what you're not good at to make you either a more well-rounded person or athlete. And when I think back, I'm like, I, you know, you, you, you're only destined to be so good at like certain things and there's always so much that you can control or you're like, if you're not fast, you're not going to get that much faster, you know? So can you, explain, you know, how that applies to athletes in terms of their training and then maybe in terms of their also their transition
0: to life after sports. Life is short. We got to play to our strengths. We're in a society today where if I had cancer of the pinky, right? Now I don't think there's actually a, a diagnosis called pinky cancer. But if there was, the first thing I'm going to do is go on my computer and find out who's the best doctor that treats cancer of the pinky, right? Right? Yeah. And so we want to find uh, who's the best at one thing. And that's just the way our world turns today. So knowing that, we've got to uncover what is our God-given talent and strength in life and how do we gravitate to that and build the strength. Uh, There are lots of other people out there doing lots of other things, but they're wasting too much time on their relative weaknesses. Right. Uh, So if you're a basketball player, you might do one thing really well. And so you're a contributor. You're not a starter, but you're a contributor. But you contribute with that one thing. When we need that one thing, you're You're our guy.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And so in sports today, I encourage athletes, focus in on the one thing that you bring to the table that makes you so special that when they, when coach says, we need this, you are that person.
1: Right. And then when you transition, you could use kind of the same things that you were good at, you know, in your
0: sport. And kind yeah. of you know, relate that to. Absolutely. There are classes you're going to get season. That's not your strength. Right. And the other classes, they get A's in. And you might say, well, I got an A in that, but it's easy. No, 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 no. You're good at it. You're good at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Another one was um passion uh, fostering perseverance. So I kind of mentioned this before, how I was kind of, you know, I – was told I could never play football again. It was something that I dreamed of doing. I actually wanted to play at Lehigh, and I'm sorry about that. Ugh. It's only because I went to a football camp there, and it was like I just had a good experience there. I had good memories. I didn't go to Lafayette for a camp, so I really didn't know what I was missing out on.
0: It's okay. I actually just came from a Lafayette basketball camp this morning. Uh, with my good friend Brett Reed and spent a lot of time at Lehigh now working a little ironic All right, yeah. and I say to them I'm a huge huge fan of Lehigh sports and I want Lehigh to win every single game out there except except one yeah <laughs> that's awesome um, but what I was going
1: back to was um, finding like a passion to help you get over your obstacle and my obstacle was being finding a new identity I guess yes. Um so Can you explain that concept uh, for athletes?
0: Sure. Passion is what drives success in anything in life. It's not about academic achievement, it's not about um, who uh, gets paid more money. It's in life, all we want to see is somebody doing something. With a higher level of passion, which we actually, it's really energy. So there's a wonderful book John Gordon wrote called The Energy Bus. And in that book, what he's really talking about is that as long as you do whatever you do in life, but your energy is higher than the other people around you, you're going to be the one that people want the most. Right. You're going to be the one that people remember. So if you're a waitress... And you serve with greater joy and excitement. And before you even reach the table, the people feel Feel, your energy coming. You're going to be very successful. And it doesn't matter what we do in life. We have to make sure that we are aware that we are constantly radiating energy. And if our energy that we radiate is higher than the people we're interacting with people will say wow that guy was really passionate or that woman was really passionate about right. that that's what we have to look for when we transition from our sport what is that thing that our level of energy could be equally as high right uh, and and how do we how do we let people feel that uh, so that they recognize you, you you're the person i want to go to when. It, comes to that topic
1: right and it's the same thing in sports too like you you always know when you're watching a game or something like there's one player that just kind of like sticks out and say they get hurt and they're out of the game or they take a break for a while like it's just not the same when you watch them without that you know without them in there so yeah it's it's similar all right um so another topic was turning adversity into your advantage i think that's probably the best thing that you know an athlete transitioning to Uh, a life after sports or even just trying to overcome their injury and get back to
0: their sport. Um, So can you talk about that topic? Absolutely. Wonderful quote in there is take everything that happens to you in life and flip it around and say, okay, how can I turn this into an advantage for myself? A relentless optimism that no matter what adversity comes, you've got to find the positive in it. What is the life lesson here for me? Because uh, God will keep sending you the same life lesson over and over and over again until we finally learn it. Right. And when you learn the life lesson, then you can kind of move forward. Things don't seem to come back again. And so we've got to find the positive in the adversity and we've got to build on that. Okay. Because, uh, uh you know, uh, a setback is really just a setup up for a comeback Yep, and so we've got to find okay. How do I come back? What's one, I got to get a foothold here somehow? I've got to get one positive, one thing, something I could build upon, and learn from, and grow from. And then when you come back, you're stronger and better than ever.
1: I completely agree. Uh, just like from my injury, I know that I make because most people don't survive from what happened to me. I'm able to connect with like athletic trainers and athletes and other people in a different way that most yes. people can't connect with because I've gone through yes. what I did. Yeah.
0: That's the point. Yeah. When there is, there's a, always something. Yeah. When there is an emotional component to what you do, uh, and people feel the, 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 uh, energy coming from you because it's, it's not an intellectual thing. It's a visceral emotional thing. It matters. So I think my rapid success in sports psychology has been because people know, intellectually I'm trained, I get it, I understand it, but when appropriate and I share stories like I'm doing now, people begin to say, wow, he went through that too. Right. Uh, Empathy
1: and connection,
0: yeah. Yeah. He's been uh, on a mountaintop but wait he's also talked about diarrhea in the newspaper he's been right. on the on the bottom too he's experienced great loss too it happens yeah and so when people understand the emotionality you bring to something they feel the passion okay that's
1: awesome last topic of your book because i don't give away your entire book um embracing change because i feel like that's exactly what you have to do no matter what it is whether you're an athlete and your coach changes your position yeah. or whether you know, you're no longer an athlete and you need to embrace that change. So can you explain that that topic as well?
0: Change is one of the only constants in life. For sure. And one of the great things that comes from sports is the ability to have mental uh, flexibility and to adapt and to change. And that skill set that we often learn, you, you, for example, football, you come up to the line of scrimmage, uh, defense is called, their coverage, right. uh, offenses called their play. But now we go to audibles. Right. And now we're making changes. And all these things are happening within two or three seconds. And if you don't have that ability, that mental flexibility to rethink
1: yeah, and, adapt.
0: and adapt. It's not robot, yeah. And e- even in the middle of a play, you, you, you're making changes. Uh, that mindset has to occur in life moving forward. And those individuals are able to adapt and change. Now, of course, in our society, the biggest area we have to adapt and change to is technology. Those who are on the forefront of technology are going to do much better in business. Right. uh, Because we just have to learn and continually learn. Uh, And so change is a mindset. And I think sports is one of the best venues to learn the skills to have that flexibility. Awesome. Uh,
1: let's talk about your mind of the athlete program that you offer mm-hmm. so how how can athletes benefit from this program and where can they find it?
0: sure minded is our website we've got a store there, and essentially, what we created is a ten hour audio video curriculum wherein we talk about sixteen different videos they're about ten minutes long on different sports psychology topics such as rehabbing an injury, confidence, emotional energy management, positive thinking, and sleep. We also have 10 CDs, mind of the coach, mind of the parents, visualization for peak performance and positive thinking. And we've got worksheets with this stuff here. So that essentially if an athlete goes through this 10 hour curriculum, uh, what we feel is that this is everything an athlete needs to know. Uh, one former um, high school wrestler, number one in the nation, he went through this curriculum and the first time he did a 10 hour program, he listened to it all. And then the second time he actually took notes on it all. Okay. And then the third time he went through it, he was actually finishing my sentences. And when an athlete can begin to finish my sentences, because they'll say like, anxiety is fear of the unknown, depression is hurt held inward, um, hate is feeling threatened by. When they under- when they can f- complete that, now they really know the stuff, and now they're ready to apply it uh, quickly. Right in uh in competition in
1: their toolbox yeah
0: it's in their toolbox so that is the uh the essential uh curriculum that we've created and i'm excited to share with you as well there's one other thing that um you may or may not be aware of uh most of the world doesn't know this just yet okay but in another month we're releasing a new book i read that
1: somewhere i was going to ask you about yeah what your goals for the future are with mind of the athlete and what you're working on now
0: yeah well the 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 Biggest thing we're excited about right now is the book, Mind of the Athlete, Clearer Mind, Better Performance. We have the um, second to last draft of the book. Uh, The next publication that we get is going to be the final one, which we'll we'll begin to sell to the world and and make available. But this is a book that teaches athletes how the mind works best and gives them a a bunch of mental tools that they can put in their toolbox. Okay. I mentioned earlier my friend Matt Millen, who won Super Bowls with the Raiders and the Redskins and the 49ers. He was kind enough to do the forward for the book. And we're just now uh, receiving the endorsements for the back of the book. And once we have those endorsements, we'll go to print. And in August, we'll be blasting that and making that available so that athletes could actually have a easy-to-read, Um, accessible way to learn how the mind works best. Awesome.
1: Uh, I'll definitely be posting that out on my outlets as well, and I'll be buying a copy of that. Um, All right, so we'll start to wrap things up. So if you went to the mind of an elite performing athlete, what characteristics would you find? Is it like discipline? Is it like for like an NFL player or a professional athlete, like what separates them mentally from someone who doesn't achieve those, those levels.
0: Emotional intelligence is a term that has kind of been out there more recently. And I think that it really rings true at high level sports that certain individuals have greater emotional maturity. They have the psychological skills to manage their emotions. And they've got the support people around them to help facilitate that, okay, so that they aren't as anxious and nervous um, when it when it seems to matter the most. so that kind of emotional maturity um, is a is a key component in leadership, um, and I think it's a key component in longevity in sports because sooner or later when people put a lot of money in your pockets and you've got something called fame going on and life begins to change for you. Interpersonal dynamics with family members change. It's going to require solid emotional maturity, emotional intelligence to handle that well enough to keep moving forward. All right. Awesome. Uh,
1: What professional athletes have the best mental health practices like that you know of, like that are open about saying that they work with sports psychologists?
0: Um, Yeah, it would be golfers. Okay. And so golfers have long known that the use of sports psychologists is a huge competitive advantage. So many and most of the guys on the PGA tour have somebody that they're working with. And oftentimes they'll just find a guy, buy him out and say, Hey, look, I'm just buy up your time, time for the next yeah. year and you're gonna go with me and travel and and help me. And then oftentimes they'll, they'll switch people after a year or so. And so golfers have done a wonderful job of utilizing sports psychology.
1: Awesome. What are like common things that golfers need help with is because, I mean, I, I had a bout of like Chuck Knobloch syndrome in uh, sure. baseball. So I'm sure it's like a similar thing. In, it is. It's sometimes called the golf. yips. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, there's a movie called Seven Days in Utopia. It's a little-known movie with a lot of sports psychology and it's the story of a golfer who has a mental uh breakdown on the course um and then meets a mentor who s- says spend 7 days here in the little town of Utopia with me and I'll get help you get your game back. Right. And one of the things he teaches him is you know the art and the power of visualization. Yeah. In fact he actually has him paint pictures of what he would want his golf shot to look like, okay, and that's really something that most athletes don't do. Paint then.
1: pictures, yeah, they what don't you, paint, yeah,
0: they're not in art. But nearly all the athletes I work with, I'm having them draw pictures and paint pictures and create images with incredible detail because if you can see it in your mind's eye first, right, then your body has a point of reference in your mind. So that it can do that which you want it to do later on. Translate it to physical, yes. yep. We've got to use images. And that's one example that golfers tend to use. And it's one example from the great movie, Seven Days in Utopia, that I think uh, athletes should do. Awesome.
1: Uh, Where can people find Mind of the Athlete, like on social media and, and everything like that, just to uh, plug, sure. plug all your stuff?
0: Uh Absolutely. Five times a day, we're posting great content on Twitter, Mind of Athlete, Facebook, um, Instagram. We've got so many resources of articles and inspirational pictures and uh, videos and our own original content that we're getting out there. And so we're posting that time, that, that content many times a day on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. There's over 500 videos. On YouTube, on Mind of the Minded Athlete YouTube channel, all this stuff will be linked up in the show notes too. So, yeah. so that essentially what we're trying to do again is get people connected with the path, and a great way to start into sports psychology is getting connected with Mind of the Athlete. In fact, we send blogs out, to reach about twenty-five thousand people each week. Oh wow! And those blogs can be incredibly helpful. So we want to get people on the path, and one of the easiest path to get onto for sports psychology is the mind of the athlete social media. Awesome. I
1: got this uh, question from another podcast. I listened to it's called the school of greatness. And I always want to credit him because I didn't think of the question, but I think it's genius. If you had to tattoo one word or phrase backwards on your head that you had to look at every single day, uh, what would it be?
0: Yeah, for me, it would be God. Okay. And so recognizing that that's what life is all about for me. And that when I went through my athlete and transition phenomenon and I was broken apart to my core, when I'm at the rock bottom in life, when I'm trying to uh, figure out the comeback, uh, it came back really through this long, deep uh, pursuit of trying to understand this concept called God. Who is God? And so, and what does that mean to me? And so that would be the one word that I would look at because it will continually remind me about this incredibly big picture and the mission that I'm on and how I got through the mess.
1: Awesome. Last question. What's your personal definition of
0: perseverance? Personal definition of uh, perseverance would be pushing through the pain and discomfort when I really don't want to. All
1: right. Awesome. Dr. Spencer, thank you very much for taking the time to share all your knowledge. And um, I'm definitely going to link all your stuff up in the show notes. Everyone, definitely go out and get the book, The Sky is Not the Limit, and keep an eye out for the new book coming out in, uh, in August.
0: Yes. And Hey, thanks so much for what you do and for getting these messages out there. On behalf of everyone at Minded the Athlete, we really value the fact that you get it and that you appreciate the mental side of sports enough to uh, allow us to share the messages with the world. So Thanks. thank you.
1: Thanks, yeah. I had a lot of work with sports psychologists after my transition because I, I was at by far the lowest point I've ever had. So yeah. and I don't think that I would be where I am today if I didn't have someone to talk to you like you guys. so. Grateful Any, for that. Anyone for out there, advocating. yeah, go out if you're in the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania area, definitely go over to Mind of the Athlete and uh, see Dr. Spencer. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks.